0: yeah we should pray, Father, thanks for a great morning of music. thank you that that we are not only commanded to sing but we have the opportunity to sing, Lord, that we can share from our hearts the reality of what you've done in our life and our past god i'm I'm overwhelmed um, with hearing the voices of your people sing um, i I pray that our motivation would have been such that that you're thrilled to hear the voices of your people sing. God, I thank you for the truths of your word. Lord, you are mighty and majestic. You are wonderful and glorious. And there is not a single thing we can do or undo that would make you any less. And yet you've given us an opportunity to bring you glory by simply celebrating what it is that you've done for us already. God, may we be good images of the one who created us. May we make much of the one who redeemed us and rescued us. We love you. May that not just be something we say, but today I ask that it would be a reality of our hearts. May we love you more than any other, for it's in Jesus' good and precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. Whew. Um, this morning, for a couple of reasons, but for this morning, I had the opportunity kind of to, to stand someplace I normally don't stand, and I got to be in the back and, and watch you sing this morning. I get to hear you sing all the time because I sit further towards the front, so the sound kind of comes up over me. But to be able to watch God's people resonate with what's being said, to see people's hands raised, and you don't all have to raise your hands, that's Okay but to see people when they come across the very truth that they were lost and God saved them when he showed up, and to see you raise your hands to a holy, wonderful, gracious God, it was uh, kind of encouraging this morning. So thank you for proclaiming his excellencies well. You like the way I worked in a little seamless transition there? I don't know if you guys remember that or not. Last week we talked about uh, the purpose of Uniontown Bible Church as it's described in God's Word, and we talked about how our purpose <clears throat> as a church is to bring glory to God. Um, and we bring glory to God by celebrating His glory, by displaying His glory, by being um, good images of what He's created us to be. And then by proclaiming his glory, by opening our mouths, by, by singing, by responding to the preaching of God's word, by sharing our story, our gospel story with the people who are around us. So that was last week, our purpose. And, and this week in our DNA series, where we're going to go is this. We're going to talk about what our mission as a church is. And so we, we are laying out for you the mission of Uniontown Bible Church this morning. And So what I would like you to do, if you don't mind, take your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22 will be in verse 34. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you and you want to grab one of ours out in the, the lobby out there, please, by all means, excuse yourself, grab one of those. If you have one of our Bibles with you and you can't find Matthew chapter 22, it is on page 1539, so you can navigate your way there. We're going to go to three different scriptures this morning, and so I want to make sure you can find your way there. So when we get to Matthew chapter 22, okay, what's happening is the Pharisees and the Sadducees are kind of tag team in Jesus. They're trying to, to pull one over on him. They're trying to, trying to test him and trip him up. So they, they, they do some different things to him going back even to chapter 21, and Jesus is, is just masterful in his treatment of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and I do <clears throat> enjoy uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 45, it says, the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables and they perceived that Jesus was talking about them very insightful of them. You get to chapter 22 and Jesus tells a, a parable about the kingdom of heaven and then, then the, the, the Pharisees think, we, we got him, we know how we're going to get him. And so they, they try to, to entangle him in his words is what the scripture says and they send their own disciples to Jesus and they say, okay, Jesus, we know you're true, we know you teach God's way truthfully. Uh, And you don't care about anybody's opinion because you are not swayed by appearances. I mean, that's just buttering Jesus up, if there ever was a chance to butter Jesus up. And so they say, now what we want you to do, Jesus, is tell us, is it lawful to pay taxes? And and Jesus masterfully handles that situation with the Pharisees and their disciples. And and, and basically says that, hey, you give to Caesar what's Caesar's, you give to God what is God's, and now I'm going to let you draw your own conclusions to that. I mean, he avoids the trap they set for him. And then you you get to the next time. Now, the Sadducees take a turn. Now, the Pharisees, they just got shut down. Now, the the Sadducees are going to take a turn, and they start talking about, um, they they don't believe that there's actually a, a resurrection. And so they bring about the whole Leverite law marriage thing, and they're like, so if one guy dies, he's got seven other brothers, I mean, how does this work? Who are you married to in heaven? And Jesus is like, that's awesome. There's no marriage in heaven. Next and, and the Sadducees, you get the sense they walk away moping, and then you get to verse 34, which is where we're going to start in Matthew 22, and the Pharisees, who had now heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, gathered together. I think that's kind of funny, too. The Pharisees are like, well, the Sadducees gave it their best shot, and it didn't work. Our turn. All right, how are we going to get him? And they ask Jesus this question. They gathered together, verse 34, and one of them, coming from the middle of the Sadducees, this one steps up, and he thinks he's got Jesus in a corner, and he says this, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? I mean, that, that's, that's like walking up to a mom and saying, Which child do you love the most? Because you know you love one of them more than the other ones. Some of you are uncomfortable. I just let your secret out. The kids are going to start fighting on the way home, so just be prepared. So so what would happen in this time is many lawyers and many, many legal people and Pharisees and Sadducees would sit among themselves and they would pontificate with each other and they would look not at the Ten Commandments. That's too easy. They would look at the more than 630 different laws that they had passed. And talk about those and say, so which one is the greatest out of all of them? Which one is the most important? Is it honoring the, the old and the wise ones among us? Is it every person must write a, a copy of the Torah, the Old Testament law, for themselves? Is it, is it to not gather the gleanings that, that hit the ground while you're harvesting? Is, is it to, to not eat a worm when you find it in fruit? I mean, that one kind of goes without saying. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty easy one. But they put it in the law, Okay. Is it to not sow different seeds in the same field? Is it the command in their law to, for those who go to battle to not be afraid? Is that the greatest command out of all the commands? Is it the reading of the Shema at morning and at night? Which one is it? When Jesus answers this question, in a moment, he could alienate an entire section of of Hebrew people. But because Jesus is Jesus, he answers perfectly. Verse 37. He said to this lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. See, this is the great and the first commandment, and the second one is like to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus answered to this question from the the lawyer, which which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, that's easy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So as a Church, the first point of our mission is this, love God most. See, as you look at what's happening here, Jesus is quoting a a very common and familiar um, text. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So so take your Bible, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, again, that's page 284 for those of you using our our Bibles here at Uniontown. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus' answer isn't just he just pulled something out of thin air. He doesn't pull something out of a, you know, this, eh, well, you sort of know what this is, but maybe you've heard of this. It's kind of obsolete. No, he, he pulls something that is most common and most known by all of the Hebrew people. It's referred to as the Shema. The Shema in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The, the Shema is, is actually a transliteration of that Hebrew word here. It's an imperative. It's a command. It means, hey, listen. And when God says, hey, listen, you should listen. He says, okay, listen. The Lord our God is one. This uh, this passage, this verse, and the verses that follow are a grouping of verses that, that are considered for the Hebrew people, for, the, for, for those who follow Judaism even to today. This is the essence of their faith. This is the very foundation of their religion. It's taught to their children repeatedly and at a very early age, and by those who are orthodox in their faith, they must recite Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and verse 5 twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. This is the, the very essence of their faith. But what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us as a church? Why would we make this part of the mission of Uniontown Bible Church? Well, because to love God most, you must deny all other gods. That's what. It's That's the most simple understanding of verse four. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is an undivided, and I decided to use this word this week because I heard it in Hebrews a couple weeks ago. It's an undivided and unswerving allegiance. It's become one of my new favorite words. See, the Lord is unique, he alone is God, and for the Israelites, what it meant was reject all other idols, all other gods of the lands as you're moving into the promised land. You you don't go with the gods of the Canaanites, you you don't go with the the gods of the Ammonites or the Amorites or any of the other ites that they happen to run into. The Lord our God is one. You, You go to God and God alone, he is unique and he is uniquely yours, And so what you must do as you enter into the land, as you enter into this promised land, you've been waiting all this time for, even since Genesis chapter 12, when God made a promise to Abram that he would make his name great, even though he didn't even have an heir. He had no belongings. He was living in one place and God said, just leave and I'll show you where you're going. Have you ever left your house with that destination? Usually that happens when my wife and I are going on a date. So where do you want to eat? I don't know. I don't know either. Let's just go. All right, we're out of here. Half the battle is getting out of the house we find some place to go, that's bonus, right? But for Abram, he's leaving his hometown, his home country. He's going to a place he doesn't even know where he's going. And God says, I will show you that place. And and then there, there happens to be this little thing that happens in between the call to Abram and the people actually going into the promised land. It's called this Egyptian captivity time period where they become slaves in a strange land with no hope of escape, and yet God showed up. God led them from their captivity, and he's brought them right to the edge of the promised land, which is where Deuteronomy 6 in its context is being delivered to the people. They're right on the, the edge of this promised land, and what is being what they're being reminded of is this. God has done much for you. And because God has done much for you, you must turn your back and reject all other gods, all other idols, and worship God and God alone, and love God and God alone, none other. So, so that's, that's easy to see why God would make that command to the Israelites, but what does it mean for our church? I mean, honestly, we're not going to build idols in the back parking lot. Back parking lot. There we go. I got it. Point the wrong way. Um, there's a lot of other gods though, aren't there? So so I'm going to name a few that as a church we need to fight against. We must deny all other gods, like the God of acceptance, the God of popularity, being liked, being the cool church in the community, being the the church that, 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 that that wants to please people so very badly that it leads us to turning our back on the God who got us here. Uh, there, there's something to be said about being unique and, and being creative in the way we do ministry. But it should never come at the cost where we link one arm with God and one arm with looking for acceptance. And so we will not serve that God, will not serve the God of influence. Um, many times we can make decisions both personally and corporately. Um, Because it puts us in a position to make a greater impact on a greater number of people. And we need to be seeking opportunities to make a difference, but there's a fine line between seeking opportunities to make a difference and seeking to be the one who influences greater minds. To seek to become popular for the sake of making our name great is idolatry. We must love the people in this community, in this county. And beyond, and seek God's glory, and not to make our name wonderful and influential out there. This one is actually the one that stings more, so sorry. One God that we must avoid at all costs is the God of comfort. That sounded funny. Let me explain. When we have an allegiance to serve ourselves, so that way we're never challenged. And we're just comfortable. then we've set up an idol that cannot sustain us. What does that look like? Here's a few. Legalism. As crazy as that sounds, for us to become legalistic in, in, in our faith and in the, the, the carrying out of our faith actually is something that brings a level of comfort because I know exactly where the white line and the black line are. So it brings us, but, but, but legalism is wrong because a couple of things. It makes who God is the one who passes the rule. We need to avoid legalism. We have to avoid hyper-theology. Let me explain what I mean by that, because last week in first service, I forgot to finish a point, and it occurred to me during second service, so they got the point. Um, When when I was talking about a microscope microscope versus a telescope, and, and, and that our view of God can't be boiled down to microscopic view of God. I'm going to get all the ins and outs and, and all of the, the little points and, and little lines and all the different, uh, like under what's under the cells and all that thing so I can understand who God is so that I can be bigger than him, so I can understand him and I can fit him in my pocket. Instead, we need to be a telescope as we, we view into the deepness of our God and make him big. Now, here's the point that I forgot to go back to. The microscope is, is necessary at times. We must dig in. That's theology. That's doctrine. It's not bad. As long as theology terminates in doxology, as long as the study of doctrine leads you to fall on your face before the God who you just studied and worship him with everything you have, as soon as theology becomes something to make you big, you are small. So I forgot that part last week. That was kind of important. I just said don't study theology and moved on. <laughs> Oops. Um, so, so so hyper-theology, that 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 can become a comfort thing because as long as I can control with my knowledge, I'm alright. Another God of comfort that we fall into is the, the comfort of self-righteousness. I can look at other people and be like, well, I'm better than them. Elitism. We apply that to the church in particular. Guess what, folks? We do not do everything the best. We are not the most incredible church ever. We have warts and wrinkles, and some of them have names. Use your imagination. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But sometimes what ends up happening is, well, if they're doing it different than Uniontown Bible Church is doing it, then they're doing it wrong. No! Man, we are in this together. There are churches in our community that are slaving away to carry the gospel to lost and hopeless people. We should partner with them and celebrate what they're celebrating, which is this. There is a God who came to rescue. So if we love God more than we love ourselves, then we'll be okay. Now, this is going to cause some of you to hurt, so be ready. If we love God more than we love ourselves, then we'll be okay when a family says, I think we would do better if we went to that church instead. No pain, no hurt, no, hey, I'm a, we're abandoning you, not running from issues, but going because there's an opportunity that is given to you in your own neighborhood and in your own community if that church is there. Then we should come fully behind them and support them, shouldn't we? If we love God most, we will. Because if we love God most, we're gonna be more concerned about his glory and his kingdom being advanced and not our own little puny kingdom. If we are worshiping the idol of comfort, we will stop uh, admitting when we do something wrong as a church. Um, so, <laughs> because, you know, I'm really into application, uh, I'm going to use this opportunity to, to tell you, oops, um, so I, I said it on my Facebook video too, we, we put out the Constitution and Bylaws, the deacons started going through them, and um, what we found when some of our deacons who are very good at reading details... Which, which I am, uh, I confessed it last week. I just went to narcolepsy when I started reading that thing another time. But and what we found was we, we had sent it away and had a, an attorney look at it. And when they sent it back, we were very excited because they found very few things that we needed to change. We also found that they really didn't do a great job reading through our bylaws and constitution. I would love to stay on schedule and save face. But you know what the spirit of the elders is? We just want to do it right. We, we don't care if it takes us a couple extra weeks. It's okay. But we, like any of us in that elder room, when we meet as a team, are like, yeah, we're really good at this Constitution bylaw thing. E-e-e. And so, you know what? It may take us a little bit longer to get it in your hands. We are still well ahead of the curve. We still are shooting for the end of February. But if that moves to the end of March, you know what? God will still be praised. And we'll still look like morons. Praise God. I'm telling you, that is my life philosophy. Somebody asked me what my mission vision statement for my own personal life is this. God is awesome and I am not. I'm okay with that. You okay with that? All right, good. So then let's love God most and continue to admit that with everything we have. To love God most, we must deny all other gods. (laughs) I'm looking at the time and I'm just giggling to myself. All right, here we go. To love God most, look at verse five. Wow. He says this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Doesn't that sound familiar? That's exactly what, what Jesus said. He said, you know, you need to love God with everything you have. And let me tell you this, love is not just emotion, although love for God is emotive. The moment we remove any emotion from our love and worship for God, we're in trouble. Because there's only two things we do without emotion in life, sleep and death. And so if our worship is marked by a lack of emotion, we're either unconscious or unconscious. So there is emotion involved, but we need to understand that when he tells us to love him with our entire being, to love him with everything we are and everything we have, that means we hold nothing back no matter how difficult it may get. You see pictures of that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see, I'll do one in one. You got Abraham and Isaac when God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Remember that one I promised? The one you named Laughter? Take your son, your only son, Isaac, who you love. God could not have made it any more difficult in his command and sacrifice him. And yet because, because Abram continued to reflect on who God is and what God had done and how God had fulfilled every promise he had ever made to him, the next morning, while it was early, he packed up his son. He headed to the mountain to sacrifice him. See, to love God with your entire being means you hold nothing back no matter how difficult it gets. You've got Mary um, when Jesus is, is dining with Simon and Mary and Martha, and Mary comes in holding the alabaster vase, which has spikenard in it, this really sweet-smelling, strong perfume, and she, she, she crushed it. It could have been a year's wage that's how much the thing cost. I mean, that's making Chanel number five look like nothing. And she walks in and she crushes it all over the, 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 the feet of Jesus. And, and, and of course, Judas freaks out like, that could have been sold and given to the poor and could have put a few bucks in my pocket. And Jesus says, well, stop. She has done what she has. Think about that statement. Have you done what you have? Have you taken all of your possessions, everything you have ever owned, and committed it to 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 love and worship Jesus because you know who He is? When you love God most, there is emotion, but there's also obedience. So, if God calls us as a people to not forsake the assembling of one another together, to to make disciples, to not be anxious, to to love your wife, to dwell with your wife in knowledge, gentlemen. You know, the women, you can't understand their minds. Guess what? That's not an excuse. That's a guilty plea. Dwell with your wife in knowledge. If, it, if, it, if it, God calls us wives to honor and respect your husband, no matter what he's like— <laughs> to tell people about your rescue, to cease from sin, to not provoke your kids to anger, to worship. If God tells us to sacrifice for other people, to serve the needs of the difficult, to love our enemy, to forgive those who have hurt us. If God calls us to pray for our government officials, even those ones. God calls us and tells us that we must practice church discipline, that we must confess our sins, that we must aggressively deal with division and gossip and hypocrisy, then we do it. Because to claim to love God with no action, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, is nothing but noise. Love God most. Love God most means to serve him and him alone, deny all other gods. To love God most means to obey him fully. To love God most, we're told in verses six through nine, is to know him more. Look at verse six. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You'll teach them diligently to your children. You will, now now follow. What I want you to do is I read these verses. I want you to think, is there another situation that you could possibly be in in life? Okay? So you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you're rising up. Bind them as a sign to your hand. They'll be frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Is there any other time in life that exists outside of sitting down, rising up, lying down, walking? uh, being? There isn't. When you're leaving your house, when you're coming back into your house, when you've, you've got it between your eyes, you've got it on your hands, you are always seeing it. And so in order to love God most, the concept here is totality. There isn't an area of life that our love for God doesn't touch. So dig into the word. Be a part of Bible studies. Start a Bible study. (gasps) We can do that. You can do that. I promise it's okay. Uh, It would be awesome. Um, So here, just for time's sake, let me jump to this. Nothing we do as a church, everything we do as a church, and we put it in the positive, everything we do as a church needs to be done with the goal of pointing to Him. Not to pointing to us, not to pointing to any other, but to pointing to him and knowing him more. So we will continue to value the things, and we'll talk about this in two weeks, but we're gonna continue to value the things that allow us the opportunity to get to know him more because that's how we will love him most. So so let me encourage you. If there's a a tool or a resource, an answer you need, a class you're looking for, fire that my way. And I just thought of this. Somebody asked me a question this week and I didn't respond in email. I won't say a name, but if that was you, I apologize. I promise I'll do it this afternoon. Talk about hypocrisy. Just ask me a question. I'll answer it at any time, except for this last week. I was just kidding. Um, but, but, um, you add, but, but, but as a church, please know this. This is important for you to say. As a church, we can't do every good thing that comes down the pike. It's just impossible. But, but the good news is we don't have to because there's other churches that may be doing it. And we praise God and partner with them in that. Or you could do it yourself, and that's okay too. And we'll come alongside you and celebrate it with you. Here's a wonderful resource. It's called Right Now Media. As a church, we subscribe to it so you get it free. If you don't have a subscription to Right Now Media, you can sign up at the the, the connection station, you can shoot me an email, shoot the office an email, and we'll get you an invitation. Man, there are some amazing things on that that you can do with your family, even on your own or with people at your workplace. There's a novel concept. Start a Bible study at your workplace. What will that demonstrate? That will demonstrate that you're more concerned about your love for God and sharing his word than you are with their acceptance or perception of you. You love God most and know him better. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. So, full disclosure, my plan originally was to do one week on love God most and then a second week on the second part of our mission statement. Um, I have three and a half minutes to do the second part of our mission statement. I am praising God that I plan on doing a lot of this next week, so I'm not going to have to go quite so fast. Um, I'm going to do a little self-editing here real quick and figure out which way I want to do it. So... All right, let me do this. Um, How'd you like that? Praying that was the Holy Spirit, not Frank. Because if it was Frank, we're all just going to laugh and pretend like it never happened. Um, So love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind. Remember the second part that Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So the second part of our mission is this. First is love God most, and second is love others best. Let me explain what that means. When we love others, well, let me just, we can only love others best when we first love God most. Here's another picture for you. If I'm asked how, how a dad can demonstrate love to his children the highest level, the answer is this. Love your wife. If you love their mom above all others, that is the greatest way you can love your children. If you don't love your wife, then you're doing your children a huge disservice. Similarly, if you love God more than anyone else, anything else, if you love him most above anything in the world, that will give you the opportunity to love other people the best way possible. You cannot love other people the best way possible without loving God most because our love for other people is an indicator of the place that God's holding in our hearts. 1 John chapter 4 verse 19 says this, we love each other why? because he loved us. And if anybody says i love god and yet hates his brother or his sister, he is a liar. The person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has not who, who, sorry, whom he has seen, cannot love god whom he's not seen. So that's our mission. And I'm gonna talk about that second part a lot more next week when it comes to our vision. So our mission in totality, love God most, love others best. You can't love others best without loving God most. If, if, here's the problem. Once I move those other people, once I move my neighbor, and we'll, so who's my neighbor? That your neighbor is the person who has the need and you have the opportunity to meet that need. Think the good Samaritan. Who's my neighbor? No, 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 no. Jesus doesn't answer the question, who's my neighbor? Because really, the lawyer in that situation is saying, who's my neighbor? Give me an out. Tell me who I don't need to serve. And Jesus says, time out. Let's talk about how you can be neighborly. And Jesus walks through the parable of the Good Samaritan, and the point at the end of it is, you want to know who your neighbor is? You're asking the wrong question. What you should be asking is, how can I be a good neighbor? I can be a good neighbor by identifying the one who's in the greatest need and instead of walking by on the other side of the street, I can view them as God views them with compassion, love, and mercy and I can serve them in their time of greatest need. As soon as I take that neighbor though, that other person, and I move them into the God spot and I make the highest good, the end all, be all, the way that I serve that person, they will crumble because that is not their spot to occupy. They can't manage the weight, they can't bear the crushing load that is the God spot. But if I view them as God views them and I'm willing to serve them and I remember that they're just like me who was so far separated from God. Who had broken every law possible in God's eyes who is desperately in need of a rescue. If I remember that the one who has the greatest need is exactly like I was before Christ, then that changes the way I view them. If I remember 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know what I love about that? Is it tells us that love doesn't originate with us, it originated with God. He reached down to us and loved us by sending his son Jesus Christ for us. But what I love even more than that is verse 11 follows verse 10. I know, it's shocking. So let me read it again. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, if it's not a big deal to you, that God loved you and sent his son. If you're not aware of the grace that you've tasted, then you simply don't remember what it is that God did for you. And if you reflect on God's salvation of you, if you reflect on God's rescue of you, and it's boring to you, then you're not focusing on God, because God ain't boring. And the rescue that you've experienced through God's provision for your sins is far from sleepy. Your eyes need to be open to the love that God had for you so that you can love other people the best. Your eyes and your heart and your mind need to be reminded of the fact that you were separated from God because of your sins and helpless to do anything about it yourself. But God gave us the greatest gift in himself. Jesus died in our place and he rose from the grave forever conquering sin and death. And one day, all who are found in Christ will be in God's presence. And no matter what their past was, no matter how undeserving they are, because none of us are deserving anyway. And there in his presence, God himself will wipe away every tear from our eye. And death will be no more. There'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Because the old things are passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, "Behold, I am making all things new. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You remember that? You remember that? May we love God most. May we seek to love others best. Let's pray. Father, there is absolutely no question in my mind of your goodness. Many times I question your plans, but that's simply because I can't fit them in my head. And me questioning your plans certainly isn't a challenge to your authority, but instead it's a a confession of my weakness. Lord, I thank you for this place. Thank you for this hill. Thank you for the opportunity you give to us week in and week out to meet together. God, I pray you would protect us from complacency, that you'd protect us from chasing the wrong things. Instead, Lord, I pray with our heart's devotion, with all we have, that we would be committed to loving you most. Lord, I ask that you would continue to heap opportunities upon us to reach out to those around us and love them the best way possible. But God, may we keep it in the right order. May we pursue you and watch how you work. Lord, we love you. Above and beyond anything else, we praise you for reaching down and loving us when we were most unlovable. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.